Alexander the Great was one of the few men in history who deserved that title, the Great. He was a strong man, versatile, as well as a very wise man, very strategic. You know, typically when you hear about Alexander the Great, you don't hear about his weaknesses. But uh, one of his uh, struggles was he was constantly defeated by anger. The story is told on one of those occasions when there was a, there was a party going on. His uh, close friend, who happened to be the general of his army, got drunk and uh, he was making fun of Alexander in a friendly way. But Alexander was so blinded by anger, he quickly snatched a spear that one of the soldiers next to him had and he threw it at his friend. He just wanted to scare him. But unfortunately, this spear ended up killing his close friend. He was so filled with remorse, he wanted to take that very same spear and kill himself. His people held him back. For many days he lay sick. He was in bed. He was beating himself up for his act, for killing his close friend, and he accused himself of being a murderer of this childhood friend of his. Alexander the Great, who had conquered so many cities, so many countries, had failed miserably to conquer his own spirit. And he's not the only one in history who struggled to control his anger. People before him and people after him continue to battle in this area of sinful anger. That's why today I want to talk to you about seven destructive consequences of sinful anger. Seven destructive consequences of sinful anger. By looking at these consequences, I hope we will be moved to take this issue the sin very seriously, especially those who struggle in this area of not being able to control their temper, but also for those who may not struggle as much, still need to be guarded in continuing to control the tendency to lash out at people. So let's seek the Lord in prayer as we uh, look further into this subject. Father, you reminded us through song earlier that uh, you are present with us. What a blessing. Right from the garden, when you created Adam and Eve, to the very last garden, one of the dominating themes of scripture is your presence with your people. Even though sin has badly affected that, still those whom you have called to be united to your son experience that presence of you through the Holy Indwelling Holy Spirit. And today as we look at this passage, more than anything else, remind us how our sinful anger grieves your spirit. And may that be the ultimate motivating and convicting factor for us to put this, to keep putting this sin to death, the sin of uncontrolled anger. Would you please work through your spirit in our hearts 
so that we would be like the one who not only said but lived out the reality of being gentle and humble in heart. In his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. You know, years ago, uh, uh, the noted Christian counselor J. Adams uh, estimated that sinful anger was involved in 90% of all counseling problems. I think it would be safe to say that, say that the percentage would still hold good, perhaps even an increase in percentage given the onslaught of social media which also feeds sinful anger. Every time you turn around, you hear one story or the other about anger affecting relationships. It's a universal problem affecting people all over the world. Friendships are broken. Marriages are broken. Family relationships are falling apart. Even churches breaking up because of uncontrolled anger. Even Christians, both Christian men and women, are affected by this problem. Many Christian homes are wrecked by anger. The words of Solomon from Proverbs 17:1: better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife seems more like a myth than a reality in many professing Christian homes. Can the Bible help deal with this anger issue? Absolutely yes. Why? Why do I say that with such confidence? Because anger, like other sins, is not a clinical problem. It's a sin problem, which makes it a spiritual problem. At the core, anger is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. And since all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we can live according to the right life that God calls us to live, we can be 100%, no, 1000% sure the Bible has all that we need to address all of our issues, including this issue of uncontrolled anger. But before we can look at how to successfully deal with the sin of anger, we must first look at how bad this sin really is. Because the more we understand how evil this is, the more we will run to try and conquer this sin. That's what we're going to do today. Mainly seven destructive consequences of sinful anger. First of all, allow me to give you a basic definition of anger. Basic definition. Anger is an active response toward an act that we perceive as morally wrong. Let me repeat that again. Anger is an active response toward an act that we perceive as morally wrong. In a basic sense, anger in and of itself is not sin. It's a God-given emotion to all human beings who are made in His image. It's an active response to an action that we see, we evaluate that action, is that morally right or wrong? Based on that we respond. Now the Bible differentiates between righteous and sinful anger. Righteous anger is that emotional response when we see God's moral law, the ultimate standard of right and wrong being broken. Jesus exemplified this kind of righteous anger 
when he cleansed the temple not once but twice, and when he called the Pharisees as hypocrites and gave them a scathing rebuke because they failed in their duty rather than leading people to God, they were leading people away from God. We are to display righteous anger. When we see evil like rape, murder, injustice, killing of babies, or even false teaching tolerated in the church, we can and we must feel angry. But even in those instances, it must be a controlled anger, an anger that does not lead to slander and violence. Ephesians 4.26 reminds us, even when we are angry, we are not to give in to sin. In your anger, do not sin. Jesus was always controlled when he was angry. He never sinned, not even by saying a sinful word, even when he was filled with anger upon seeing God's holy and righteous standard being continually broken. Now, sinful anger, on the other hand, is the emotional response when we see our set of laws, what we perceive as right or wrong according to our own standards being broken. This is not an issue of God's laws being broken. It's an issue of I'm not getting my way. My ego is affected. I feel being put to shame. That's sinful anger. So we also have a response to that act that we perceive as wrong, but the standard is our own standard. Unfortunately, it's that kind of sinful anger that controls many. And this sinful anger is directed in three ways. Number one, it can be directed towards God himself. God, you did not do what I asked or did something that I did not expect. My marriage is bad. Or I never got married. My finances are not good. I'm struggling. The promotion I was expecting did not come through. My health is falling apart. You took away my loved ones. The list go on and on. Bottom line, the anger is a result of some kind of dissatisfaction with God not using his power and his love towards us. How could you, a loving and powerful God, allow this to happen or not bring about the result I've been praying for. And the result of that is an anger toward God that can that can show itself in many ways. Maybe not reading the Bible for days together, not praying, not being in fellowship. Or even if you're reading and praying and being in fellowship, it's more like a routine, but not coming from the heart. It's the coldness built on the inside. Sometimes that kind of an anger toward God causes a person to permanently walk away from God also. How many times have you and I heard, God did this to me when I was young or when I was older. How could he have done this to me? I'll never come back to this God. A settled, angry disposition toward God. The root problem of being angry toward God is that some people never realize God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to do with our lives. He is the potter we are the clay. Jesus never promised a life of comfort and ease this side of heaven for all those who follow him. He, on the other hand, he called for a life of self-denial endurance 
even in the face of hostility. What he did promise, the good news is that he will be with us and carry us even during those times, those times of great disappointment and unceasing times when the tears keep flowing from our eyes. His presence is what he promised to his people. Failing to understand that truth leads many to respond to God in an attitude of sinful anger. Secondly, we can direct the daggers towards self, towards ourselves. A self-loathing. I'm so angry at myself for doing this or for failing to do that. I cannot believe I blew this. And what do you think is the root of such kind of a response? Pride. How I am perceived before others and in my own eyes is the overarching concern. What will people think of me? That I don't have it all together? It's about self-image. We forget again, God does not call perfect people. He calls weak people. We're going to be failing. It doesn't mean we shouldn't regret our failures, but we take that regret back to the cross. We accept that forgiveness that he gives and we get back into the race. God calls us to lean on him. There are times when God allows us to fall because he's sovereign so that we'll understand our weaknesses and appreciate the grace he gives us more and more. Again, not a license for us to keep falling and saying, I'll sin over and over so that you'll be glorified by displaying more grace. That's not the idea. But at the end of the day, we are fallen, weak human beings. But the third, third way we express our anger is the most common when it's toward others. Anger directed toward others. People have done something against us or people have failed to do what we expected them to do for us. You did this against me or you failed to do this for me. As a result of one or both, anger is directed towards the offender. And an anger sometimes is used as a club where possible to control others or manipulate and bully the offenders into submission. That's what happens. And in some cases, even if the offender seeks forgiveness, people who are controlled by sinful anger don't let go of the desire to take revenge. I cannot simply let you off the hook for causing so much pain, for hurting me. It doesn't matter if you ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter if God himself has forgiven you. You hurt me badly. You need to get what's coming. I need my pound of flesh. I need that. I have to make you pay in whatever way possible, at times through my actions, or even through cold silence, I'll keep my distance from you. It doesn't matter if we are in the same home or even if we are in the same church. I cannot let you off the hook. Sad thing is during the same time, the same people keep asking God for forgiving their sins and yet remain unforgiving towards those who hurt them. How terrible and how unchrist like that is. So we can see sinful anger directed in three ways toward the creator, toward ourselves, 
and toward others. And then, and this is expressed in, 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 in many ways, three ways. I, I like to compare that to three stages of a pressure cooker. Well, stage one is that silent expression. You know, when you put the pressure cooker, when you turn the stove on, slowly the heat is building up on the inside. Outside, you don't see anything happening, but the heat is rising on the inside. People in this category are very subtle. Outside, they might be smiling. They, they look at how things are so fine, but on the inside, there is constant anger, just settled anger, bottling it up, bottling it up. Sometimes people in this category may even appear to be introverts, shy on the outside, but doesn't mean that all is well on the inside. A second stage too of the pressure cooker is that steady release. You know, the, 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 the little knob there that keeps going up and down a little bit, gives a little sound here and there. So it's the, that's when the steady steam is flowing out, it's kind of going, you can see that. People in this category constantly and steadily keep expressing their anger to, by actions and words, sarcastic comments here and there, provoking or irritating others with their words and actions, all done deliberately to hurt the other person. And sometimes it is done in a way that others around may not even know. We're skilled at these things. All of us. All of us. And stage three, that sudden explosion. And the little knob comes up and stays there with a loud noise. This is the type that explodes with angry outbursts, reckless words and actions, causing much damage, even with a short outburst. And you know, what's a sad thing? Some people in this category even say, I don't hide my feelings. I'm transparent. I saw something to be proud of. It's just a short outburst. Let's move on. It's like the lady who once came to a, a famous evangelist, Billy Sunday, who actually was God used to convert Billy Graham. This lady came to Billy Sunday and attempted to rationalize her angry outbursts. She said that there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. I blow up and then it's all over. The evangelist wisely said, so does a shotgun. But look at the damage it leaves behind. Look at the damage it leaves behind. Even that short outburst can sometimes leave a tremendous damage behind because people are created an image of God with feelings. Forget that. No, and I admit, not all anger is always in one neat category or other. We kind of move all over the place. But the point is, sinful anger can be expressed in so many different ways, but whatever ways it is, ultimately the point is this, it has destructive consequences, seven of which I want to briefly share. Number one, destructive consequence, they're not in any particular order of sinful anger, is that it distances people from us. It distances people from us. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25.
page 935 here in the church Bibles. Solomon tells us, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person, an angry person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So what Solomon is saying is, listen, being close to angry people is like hugging a bomb. It may go off any time. Distancing yourself. It distances people from us. If we are angry people, people will distance themselves from us. Angry people are fine one minute. Next minute they explode. You never know. Even the smallest, slightest thing can get them upset and get them all bent out of shape. So usually people tend to avoid getting too close to an angry person. And if that person happens to be a family member, a spouse or a parent, one cannot be far away in the physical sense, but it does affect the closeness. It does. Solomon, no wonder, laments the difficulty of living with an angry spouse in this way. Proverbs 21 verse 9, better to live on a corner of the roof then share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Quarrelsome wife or husband. Cuts both ways. Cuts both ways. In fact, this is such a difficult situation that Solomon repeated the same proverb again later in Proverbs 25, verse 24. Hide yourself. That's what he's saying. You see, believers are called to be a blessing to others, a means of comfort and encouragement. People should be willing to come to us without fear and hesitation. But if anger marks our life, how can we fulfill the calling to be a blessing to others? Because anger distances people from us. Consequence number two of sinful anger, it negatively influences others. It negatively influences others. Go back to that same Proverbs 22. Look at verse 25. After Solomon says, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person, don't associate with one easily angered. Why? Why Solomon? Verse 25. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Our actions have the, has the power to influence others. Especially our children. If we have children. Or even others. People younger to us. Or including new believers. We do impact others. Positively or negatively but we're called to be a positive influence on others that's what the bible calls us to be a positive influence but if we don't have our spirit under control we rub off and ultimately we'll be known as the angry family the angry church and there are many like that it's a reality it's a reality. It's a negative influence on others. Destructive consequence number three. Sinful anger can lead to other greater sins, including murder. Uncontrolled anger has the potential to do far more damage than we can imagine. We cannot say this is, I'm going to draw the line here. No. When your spirit and my spirit is out of control, will go much farther than we intended to go. Listen once again to the wise words of Solomon, Proverbs 29 and verse 22. Proverbs 29 and verse 22. An angry person stirs up conflict and notice that here it comes. 
and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. Remember Cain, both he and Abel offer sacrifice to God. God gives Cain an opportunity. Hey, your sacrifice is not acceptable. He could have easily fixed that. But what does he do? He gets jealous toward his brother. Jealous. And eventually that jealousy led him to anger because when you're jealous of a person, you will be angry towards that person. No question about it. You cannot say I'm jealous, but I'm not angry. You resent someone who has what you want to have, but you're not having it, or you're envious that they also have what I have. This doesn't put me a little above them. And that will lead to anger towards them. And then what happened? Cain killed his brother. The very first murder in the Bible is that of a brother killing a brother. And anger was an issue. Uncontrolled anger. Sin is crouching at the door. God warned him. It wants to control you. Take over you. Be on your guard. He rejected that wise words of warning and ended up killing his brother and remaining a wanderer for the rest of his life. We might not be able to physically kill the other person because then our loss. But what do we do? We end up hating that person in the heart and killing them a thousand times in a given day in our thought life. And where possible, angry words are used to kill others. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 12, 18, a wonderful, wonderful, good verse to memorize. It says, the words of the reckless pierce like swarms but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Believers are called to be agents of healing through their mouth. But when uncontrollable anger is what we are characterized by, then our reckless words, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. It's like again and again and again. The wound is still raw, but we don't stop. I need my pound of flesh. I'll keep hurting you over and over and over. The angry heart keeps pounding and wounding others with words, words that can hurt long after they've been spoken. All because we cannot control our anger. That's why we should strive to nip this sin of anger in the bud and not wait for it to fester. Destructive consequence number four of sinful anger, it causes us to hurt even the innocent. There are a lot of casualties. Unfortunately, when we are victims of sinful anger, we not only hurt the person whom we are angry with, but anybody who comes in the way. Our minds are so irritated, so filled with rage, any and every little word people might say, we lash out at them. Even if people try to bring in reason, we lash out at them. We lash out at them because in our hearts, it is seething, the rage is boiling inside. And when we are blinded by rage, we lose all rationality. One example comes to mind, a biblical example. When Jacob's daughter 
Jacob's back now. Okay, so he's come back with all his children, uh, patching up with Esau. When they go to this little town, little town, and then Genesis 34 talks about that. He has a daughter called Dina. Dina was raped by uh, this prince of that place called Shechem. That's raped. Her two brothers, Simeon and Levi, in their reckless anger, they kill all the men in that town. They loot the city and took with them all the women and children. Not only that, they crippled all the oxen. They crippled all the oxen. No wonder Jacob in his final words to Simeon and Levi on his deathbed, this is what he said. Turn with me to Genesis 49. Genesis 49. First book in the Bible. Way back, Genesis 49, verses 5 and 6, page 74. This is what he says. Because they were marked by uncontrollable anger. Simeon and Levi are brothers, he said. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. Here's a father saying, I want to be distant from my own sons. Why? For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Go home and read Genesis 34, at least verses 25 through 29. You see what they did to that town. Shechem was the only one who raped. All the males slaughtered, and this is not God ordering them to do it. And hurting animals. Bible talks about God is compassionate towards all he has made. That includes animals as well. A righteous man is known by his kind acts towards animals too. At times, as parents, our uncontrolled anger can cause us to harm even little children verbally and even sometimes physically. Abuse. I'm not talking about appropriate discipline. I'm talking about abuse. There's a huge difference between disciplining and abuse. Listen to this short but painful story that illustrates how uncontrolled anger can even hurt the innocent. As a man who bought a new car. He loved his car. So he spent a lot of time with that car. One day he was polishing his new car. His four-year-old son picked up a stone and scratched lines on the side of the car. The man was so angry, so filled with rage. He took the child's hand and hit it many times. He didn't realize he was still having a wrench in his hand. At the hospital, the child lost all the fingers due to multiple fractures. And this is young boy looked at his father with painful eyes. He said, Dad, when will my fingers grow back? He was hurt, speechless. He went back to the car and he started kicking the car because he was guilty. He loved the car more than his boy. And as he sat down by the side of the car, he looked up. The scratches on that car was basically his son writing out saying, love you, dad. The man committed suicide the next day. 
heart-wrenching story, isn't it? But it shows the wretched consequences of destructive effects of uncontrollable anger that has the power to hurt even the innocent. Number five, destructive consequence number five of sinful anger. It affects our physical and spiritual well-being. Once again, look at what Solomon has to say. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 29 and 30. Page 922 or 923. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered, angry, short-fused, displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. But there's a little structure that is going on here. We need to pay close attention here. That patience versus quick temper of verse 29 parallels the next verse of life to the body and rots the bones. In other words, both anger of verse 29 and envy of verse 30 has the potential to damage the body whereas the qualities of patience and peace bring about health. And I, I don't want to limit this just to the physical aspect. It also affects the inner part, the spiritual being, because angry people don't have peace on the inside. It does affect their health a lot of times because they bottle it, bottle it, or explode, explode. Restless people, angry, angry people, restless people. There's no peace in the heart. It affects physically, but first and foremost, it also affects the person spiritually. A heart at peace understands God is sovereign, He's in control. If He's allowed this to happen, I can rest in that. You lose sight of that, you take matters into your own hands. And anytime we take matters into our own hands, we cannot experience the peace that God gives, the peace that passes all understanding. We're in turmoil. We're in turmoil. How true are the words? Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. You're holding that acid inside of you. We do more damage to ourselves in the long run when we hold on to anger for prolonged periods of time. Did you know that a rattlesnake, when it is cornered and cannot escape in anger, it bites itself. It's so angry it bites itself in the same way when a person harbors anger, hatred, bitterness in their heart, they're poisoning themselves like the rattlesnake that bites itself. That's why this is such a destructive consequence, this anger. It has the power to affect the inside and the outside. Sixth destructive consequence of sinful anger, it hinders our prayer from being heard. It hinders our prayer from being heard. You know, one of the things that has always caught my attention in 1 Timothy 2, Paul is writing to men specifically here, that the context is clear. He's contrasting men, women, how they are to function in the church. 
But yes, there is an extended principle. It does apply to women also. But notice what he says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, page 1690. 1690. He says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. He doesn't say without uh, lust, without greed. Uh, those are all sins. But he specifically points out in connection with the holy hands, he says, without anger or disputing. Anger directed against whom? He doesn't necessarily say, maybe towards God, maybe towards self, maybe towards others, or a combination of everything. But what he's saying is this, listen, if you lift up your hands to pray, expression of calling upon the name of the Lord, but if you have a heart that is filled with anger, your prayers are useless. Unless those prayers are, God, help me to get rid of the anger. This has the idea of a settled, I am right in holding on to this anger. When we struggle, we must go to God in prayer. How else are we going to get delivered? We'll talk about that. That's not what this is prohibiting. It's a settled disposition. That person deserves my wrath. Nothing can change my heart. I am right in holding on to this anger. That's the kind of settled disposition we're talking about. Peter, in his writing, tells the same thing to husbands too. Be considerate towards your wife, which would include this. If not, your prayers would be hindered. First Peter 3, verse 7. Bottom line is this, be it husband or wife. If we pray with anger in our hearts, not only are we sinning, but we're also closing that one door that can help us to get out of the original sin of anger because God now cannot hear our prayers. A couple of weeks ago we saw about unforgiveness, the five characteristics or consequences of unforgiving heart, unforgiving heart. And one of those consequences is God will not hear prayers. Same thing here. The psalmist, Psalm 66 verse 18 tells us, we cherish sin in our hearts and in this context of today's message, sin of anger, God will not hear our prayers. Stubbornly holding on to anger shuts the door from God hearing our prayers and our requests will not be heard, let alone be answered. Here's the ultimate one. The final destructive consequence number seven. It brings God's severe judgment. It brings God's severe judgment. Make no mistake what a person sows, that will he reap. In Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, this is what our Lord says, page 1378. Page 1378. The ultimate devastating consequence of a heart that is not under control, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry 
Anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anger leads to sinful speech, as indicated by the word Raka, a term of contempt. And fool denotes a person who lacks sense. Such actions, Jesus says, eventually leads to judgment from God, as indicated by those phrases, will be subject to judgment, repeated twice in verses 21 and 22, and that phrase will be in danger of the fire of hell. Yes, those who are truly God's children will never face the fires of hell, but that does not mean God will not severely discipline his children if they exhibit sinful anger. Judgment begins at the household of God. God disciplines those who are his children so that they may be partakers of his holiness. There is a redemptive purpose that God seeks in our disciplining so that we'll be made more like his son. But that disciplining sometimes can be extremely severe. In 1 Corinthians 11, we are told there was conflict within the church members and I can bet there was anger there. God took some of their lives, some of the believers' lives away, struck them down. That is why some of you are asleep. Some of you are weak and sick. That's how serious God takes the sin of anger. Angry people cannot escape God's judgment. Why? Because an angry spirit is really the proof of a proud and rebellious heart. How can God approve of a proud and rebellious spirit? God delights only those who humble themselves. He gives grace not to the proud, but to those who are humble. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But another reason, a reason more than that, that God is not pleased with angry people who want to take vengeance on others is that they directly rob God of his glory. How so, you ask? See, God has said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. When angry people say, no, I don't trust you to take revenge on my behalf. I will do it. What are we doing? We're taking that which belongs to God and robbing him of his glory. And God is very, very particular about his glory. We take that which belongs to God into our own hands. We will experience that which is due us, which is disciplining or final judgment, those who are far away from Jesus Christ. I'm sure many more can be added to the list of seven, these seven destructive consequences, but I hope that just these seven alone will shake us up and convict us to see how deadly the potential consequences are when we fail to rule over our own spirits. How then can we be delivered from this problem? First and foremost, we must deal with the source of sinful anger, which is the heart. Anger is a symptom. Symptom of what? Something deeper, the heart. Jesus said in Mark 7 verses 21 through 23, all sins, all sins, envy, slander, murder, they're 
which are the result of an angry spirit come from within the heart the heart is the source james tells us the reason why we get into fights and quarrels is because of the desires that battle within us james chapter 4 verse 1 the heart is the issue again let me remind you anger is not a clinical issue it's a spiritual issue it's a sin issue which means it's a heart issue the sinful heart is the root that produces all different kinds of evil all different fruits and one of those fruits is anger sinful anger sinful anger is the fruit the root is a wicked heart that is why we need to keep seeking for a heart change if we want to overcome this spiritual issue this may mean for those of you who are here today you're not followers of Jesus Christ it doesn't matter if you've been going to church all your life but you never truly repented of your sins and have come to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins this means you need to start there your main problem is not the anger problem your main problem is unbelief you can never have the power to deal with anger come to jesus christ first of all for a brand new heart go to him acknowledge to him that you're a sinner and that you deserve hell for all your sins but also ask him to offer you that forgiveness because you no longer want to live that way you want to turn from your sinful ways and turn to him cry out to him for mercy and based on what he has done on that cross the full and finished work on that cross he can forgive you he can give you that right standing which no one else can give start there start there but if you have done that by the grace of god if you are a follower of jesus and still struggle with anger we need to do the same as well we need to keep going back to jesus Lord that new heart that you gave me is being constantly polluted from the influences of that old nature that keeps taking control over and over again. I I struggle with this resentfulness in my heart that keeps to trap me again and again. I need to have my heart set free from that old polluting influence Jesus. Cleanse my heart. I come believing your blood will cleanse my heart. You give me the power to help me to live that gentle and humble life that you display and call me to display. We need to keep asking God and crying out to the Lord. Lord, protect me from this quick way to retaliate. I just want to quickly retaliate often. and i feel angry at myself for not retaliating sometimes i noticed that i should have given them right then and there i mean let's not pretend we all have that struggle right but we need to cry out to god god that's not christ like what if god for a moment does that to you and me 
Where would you and I be? Let's not give excuses or blame others for our angry outbursts. We must be like David with an open confession. I have sinned. Second Samuel 12, 13. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Psalm 51 verse 4. Even if we are being disciplined, and we know this is disciplining is a direct result of our anger. We can still say, Lord, you are right. I am guilty. I deserve this. But now, Lord, have mercy upon me. Help me to learn from your disciplining and help me to not fall victim to this sin again and again. We need to fast if it's needed because that's how serious we need to have in dealing with this sin. This is a ruthless sin that cannot be dealt with in a casual manner. Hand causes you to sin. Cut it out that kind of radical measures should be taken. I fast, I cry out, I pray. Why? Because God, I want you to know, according to your spirit working in me, and as I read the word, this is a sin that grieves your spirit much. Just like any other sin, I don't want to have this kind of a life that I'm constantly angry. I am tired of being angry, God. This is not bringing glory to you or blessing people around me. I am so sorry that I'm marked by anger. That's the kind of attitude we should have in going to God. We must plead in faith because if, if passages like Ephesians 4.31, Colossians 3, I think it's verse 8, it talks about putting away anger. It's a command, which means if God has commanded us, God will help us to overcome. So by faith, we should keep going back to this God who said, is anything too hard for me? And this is in keeping with his will. So God will bring that deliverance. By faith, we go back. Even if we stumble and fall, we go back over and over and over again saying, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Don't let your anger stop you from going to God. Let that move you back to God for deliverance. Lord, I don't even feel like forgiving this person. Take that also as a prayer request. Produce that feeling in me. Because ultimately, if God does not produce that feeling, we won't have that feeling. I'm not trying to throw the blame at God here. But I'm just saying, I believe in the absolute and total sovereignty of God. Anything good that comes from me, it has to be from him. So it's okay to ask for that feeling to come. He will produce that in our hearts. We need Jesus. We need Jesus who will work through the Holy Spirit to put this deadly sin to death. And the Holy Spirit uses scriptures and prayers and fellowship so many ways to help us overcome that. We need to be wise also. It's good to know what are my trigger points. What causes me to get angry? Is it stress? Is it lack of sleep? Sometimes these also factor in. And go deeper. I'm angry at so-and-so. Why? Because they're not showing love to me or they didn't affirm. Why? Why are you seeking constant affirmation from someone? Are you not content with being loved by Jesus alone? So you break it down. What's the cause for my anger? Oh, I'm angry. I just need to fix it. No, go a little deeper. Because the more you peel it, the more it's going to reveal the real heart condition. 
it's always leads to the self. I feel I need constant affirmation. Why? Isn't Jesus' affirmation enough? We say love with an everlasting love. Is that not good enough? Perhaps that is not good enough. I want him to love me and I want others to constantly love me. I, am this, I should be the center of everyone else's world. That's dethroning God and making self as number one. And that's pride, isn't it? So go deeper. The Spirit will show you. He will show you. The more we meditate on the scriptures, the more our hearts will be transformed. Please listen. We must take this sin seriously. Our sinful anger, like all other sins, does grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of Ephesians 4 is set in the context of bitterness, anger, things like that. But our sinful anger not only hurts the Holy Spirit, it hurts others. Our angry words and our angry actions does cause pain to others. How can we keep on behaving like that and still claim to be followers of Jesus? That is why we must take this sin seriously. That is why we must take God's serious words of warning to get rid of this anger. And then let's not be deceived by some outward changes if there is no real heart change. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we can feel a conquered anger when we really haven't. How can we have that kind of a deceptive uh, approach or deceptive mindset? It's because, you know, maybe everything is going good in our lives right now. Money is flowing in. Health is good. Everything in general is going smooth. So we don't display that many angry outbursts. As a result, we may think, looks like I've conquered this sin. But if there has been no true and ongoing desire to have a change of heart, which will be evidenced by continual crying out to God to be gentle and humble. There is no real victory. It's still the same old angry heart. All it would take is one small thing to fall apart. The old ugly head of anger will roar right back. Because only the fruit has been addressed, not the root. Not the root. Real victory cannot come unless there is ongoing transformation of the heart. A changed and a changing heart will show itself in a changed and a changing life. And that includes in this area of sinful anger. An old Hebrew proverb says this, the best way to know a man is to watch him when he is angry. The best way to know a man is to watch him when he's angry. Man or woman, same thing, slightest thing. Sometimes even the smallest thing gets people angry. That shows how small the person really is, isn't it? When people watch us in our anger, what kind of a person do they see? Do they see a genuinely repentant child of God who is continually striving to change to be more like the gentle and humble Jesus? Or do they see 
child of the devil who stubbornly holds on to an angry spirit without any remorse and continually causing pain and tears to people around them. Father, through your spirit, help us to answer that question and act accordingly. For your son's glory we pray. Amen.